welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or share your progress, email me at homecomingpodcast at gmail.com. Also, after you listen, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. I am so glad that you all are joining us for another episode. And today our focus is self-compassion. And I am excited to welcome our first visitor and guest for the show, author and therapist, Andy Kolber. I am glad that you are here with us to talk about your book, Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode, and into a life of connection and joy. So I recommend you all going into the new year, Try Softer with self-compassion. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it has been a pleasure connecting with you online, and I was excited to read your book. It is such a gift. One of the things I like about your work is the integration of spirituality with psychology, and many of us are people of faith, but experience those issues either not addressed at all or addressed separately, so it's so wonderful that you have this resource that connects mind, body, and spirit. So I want to start by asking you about how Try Softer became important to you. And I know in the book, you start off talking about burnout. So maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I sometimes say Try Softer is sort of the work of my life. Um, I have, I just, it's been this journey of, of really so I'm a survivor of trauma in my own life. And what I didn't know for a long time is that I had learned to adapt um, to being in the world by basically white knuckling it all the time. Like always coming from this place of hypervigilance, what's going to come next? I have to be the best. Like just this place where there wasn't a lot of room for self-compassion for grace, um, for connection. And so it was really, you know, even after I became a therapist that I began to realize that it it was so easy for me to take on other people's pain, other people's stories. And I did a terrible job of really advocating and honoring myself. And so it's really been this, I would say at least a decade of my own work to learn how to be gentle in the face of pain, to learn instead of shaming myself, instead of taking this posture of, well, it must be all my fault then, to actually listen to my body and what my body is telling me. And this is where Trisofter was born, is this idea of learning to pay compassionate attention to my experience and knowing that God really created my body with a lot of wisdom and that I have permission to listen to that wisdom as a way, sort of a roadmap to help my body unwind so much of the trauma 
that I had carried. And, and, and I think I'm still in process even with that. Oh, this is so good and connects so well with what we have been focused on about coming home to ourselves. And I'm glad you raised this issue of the body because I think many times we are disconnected from our bodies. Um, and in the book, you start to talk about how we can read cues from our bodies. So can you tell us about that, what that was like for you or with the clients you work with, reconnecting with what our bodies are telling us? And I love that phrase of the bodies having wisdom because they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are going to probably be already familiar with this, but just as a brief overview, I talk about um, our window of tolerance a good amount and and just meaning that when we're in with our nervous system, when we're in a range in which we can sort of tolerate the emotions we're experiencing or, you know, just the sensations or the interactions we're having with people, we're staying in a range in which our body is usually integrated and connected. But if we grew up in homes or systems um, or churches or places where we're constantly having to actually go outside of that window, so either going into fight or flight or into dissociation, there's that sense in which we that is the disconnection of our body, right? So for me... I learned I was constantly in either that hypervigilance, hyperarousal, or I was often in sort of a some form of dissociation, sort of disconnected, a sort of depressive place. And I learned, I experienced that as normal. That was just what I thought. I thought everybody was like that. Um, I saw my body a little bit like an object. And so I was an, I was an athlete. I played three sports. I played college basketball and, and, and I've come to see that probably part of what made me a bit of a successful athlete is that I could push my body harder and further than a lot of folks because I was disconnected from her. And so for me, I love, I love the name of your podcast. I love that it's coming home to yourself. Thank you so much. I think it's it's so aligned with the work that you're doing and what you're talking about. Mm, yeah, and and I think so much of this idea of embodiment is really this all these levels of an integration of seeing our body as a home. And for me, uh, coming from that faith lens, like really, you know, seeing it as a temple of the Holy Spirit that God, I mean God made our bodies and we have permission to value and honor those bodies. And so what I have really learned, and I think the tie-in with Trisofter, is that compassion and self-compassion is a way in to that embodiment. It is a road home Mm. because I think shame keeps us outside of ourselves, But, but compassion brings us home. Absolutely. So well said. And it's true when we're in that busy mode of just trying to get things done and accomplishing things, we can actually do a lot and still not be at home. And Mm -hmm. so the accomplishments or the success or the resume doesn't really speak the truth to how we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just what we have done 
Um, and so I want to um, step back and really honor that you started by telling us that you're a trauma survivor. And I really appreciate you being willing to speak that truth. And what it reminds me of is even in your work as a counselor or as a therapist, that we can spend a lot of focus outside of ourselves and not at home. And I know a number of our listeners are either caretakers or ministers or parents or therapists. So can you talk some about what it means to do the work for others when you're disconnected from yourself and the difference you feel now that you have come more home to yourself in doing that work? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, and I, and I wrestle with this a lot, you know, and I think especially folks who are connected to faith, this is an important idea because we do see that faith invites us to a story that's bigger than ourselves. You know, that, that there's a sense in which it invites us to honor the humanity. And I would say the image of God in other people. And so it doesn't just stop with us. And so it can feel counterintuitive to do this work because I think a lot of folks I work with are like, oh, is that selfish? Oh, am I so self-centered? Oh, am I bad, you know, because I'm doing this? And for me, one of the things I often come back to is honestly Jesus's words that says that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yes. And I often pause on this idea of as ourselves because, you know, what we've come to see in neuroscience is that we are neurobiologically wired to mirror and empathize with other people's experiences. But we can only do that when we are connected physiologically to our own emotional experience and body. So when we're at home in ourselves, we have the ability to to, to love others, to empathize with others, to, to, so it's like, we're, we're, it's like we have our home base and mm -hmm. we leverage that as a way to be with other people. And so, you know, I just think there's this, there's so many levels of integration and intersection there because, you know, for me, when I think about Jesus's words, what I'm hearing is to the extent that I am honoring and loving myself is the extent to which I have the room to really make space for other people. Mm. And so when my space for, when I have very little space for myself, I actually have a fairly small space to really be with the experiences of others because I can't from even like a neurobiological perspective, I can't tolerate the emotional experiences other people are having if I'm not doing that work for myself. And so, you know, for the folks who are listening, who are caregivers, who are in those places where they're with other people, I just want to encourage them to hear that this work, I think there's in and of itself, we are worth loving full stop. Yes. We are, we are worthy of care mm -hmm. and the fruit of doing the work, of knowing that we're loved, of knowing that we're valuable, is that I think we often can go so much 
we can we just can go so much deeper with other people and in often much more effective ways. Absolutely. That is so beautifully said because I think often uh, people's focus becomes, you know, loving God and loving others and leaving out ourselves. And when that has become equated with selfishness, as you said, it's so uh, harmful. And so giving ourselves, and I love that full stop, giving ourselves full permission uh, to love on ourselves. And you mentioned this piece about being a part of a larger story. Um, and then earlier in your book, you talk about us being disconnected from our own story. Mm -hmm. So can you speak some to the personal story? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really fascinating what we've come to see. Like I work a lot through the lens of attachment. So essentially that idea, you know, that um, our, er how our earliest caregivers um, or parents interacted with us and, and with our needs sort of creates a template for how we, what we bring into adulthood, how we sort of interact in relationships. And then ultimately I say, it sort of creates our own internal parent. So if we experienced parents or caregivers who shamed us for having feelings, who told us just to suck it up, it's not that bad, who were scary or terrifying, who um, were really inconsistent when we needed them the most, they were just not there. It, what can happen is, right, like that is the literal, those are the traumas we hold in our stories. And so I talk about how that stories are more than this abstract concept, but that they are a neurobiologically wired experience that we hold in our body. Hmm. And so, you know, like Brene Brown talks a lot about and other people have too, like owning your story. And so the question I have wrestled with a lot is, well, what keeps us from that? Yeah. And the conclusion I've come to is that it's trauma whether that's big T trauma or little T trauma, we often can't own our story because it's too big. It's too hard. It feels intolerable. It feels scary. And so trying softer, learning to be gentle with ourselves is a way to say our stories matter. Our stories are valid. And we can be as gentle and go as slow and take the pace that we need to own the story. And in doing that, it, it, it's like that full circle of attachment that we learn to be kind to ourselves, to parent ourselves, oftentimes in the ways that we never got and often really needed as kiddos. Oh, absolutely. That reparenting is so critical because uh, as you're describing, the early parts of our story are largely shaping our current story and the story we've told ourselves, but knowing that we can shift the narrative that, you know, what I like to say is we couldn't stop some people from writing on the pages of our lives, but now we have the pen, right? So now I get to write what comes next, but with an awareness of what has come before. 
And so I wonder about, as you talk about being gentle with ourselves, being soft with ourselves, what you would say to listeners who equate gentleness with weakness and who walk through life with a lot of armor um, and often because of, as you've described, because of trauma. Um, yeah, what, what is the difference between being weak and being gentle? Mm. Yeah, and I run into this a lot. So I think that's a great question. I think a, I think our culture tends to think of gentleness this way. And, uh, you know, just to start, one of the things that makes me think of, I, I was writing on Instagram last night that I really believe that gentleness is using strength with wisdom. Mm. And so... Yeah. So a lot of times, That's good. I, <laughs> yeah, I think there's this sense that, so if we go back to this idea that trying softer is compassionate attention, part of where I came to this way to talk about it is really rooted in that window of tolerance that we talked about. And so if I'm paying compassionate attention to my body, that's really a form of wisdom. That's a form of saying, if I accept one more thing on my plate, I will be sacrificing my sanity. Like I, mm -hmm. like there's just no, there is no room in the budget. Right. And so right. if I choose to do that, I am going to be shooting right outside of my window of tolerance, living in hyper vigilance, fight or flight, probably will get in a fight with my spouse. I'm going to be living in survival mode. Um, all this stuff. And so, but gentleness might say, hey, you know, it's okay that you don't have, that you can't do everything. In fact, nobody can do it, everything. And your value is not equated to how much you produce or what you do. And so gentleness is this paradox that, that I think really connects to this wisdom that what is it that's going to allow you to move through this hard thing in a way that maintains, you know, just the fullness of who you are? Like, like you're still you. You're not sacrificing your sanity or your wellness or your ability to be resilient because somebody wants something from you. And I think gentleness is a way into that because what we're saying is, is that I deserve, I deserve to not have to walk around feeling like the world is ending all the time. Like I, and, and I, and it requires, um, a softness to do that. That's beautiful. I deserve to not have to walk around. What was it? Like the world is ending all the time. Like the world is ending all the time. Yes, it is that living in warrior mode is not living, right? It is constant survival, constant vigilance, constant fight mode. And it leads to the burned out, burnout because as you described, we are not physiologically designed to live like that. And so it is uh, exhaust, exhausting and uh, unsustainable. Yeah. So as we think about uh, self-compassion, I want to say I was so appreciative when you were listing the different traumas that you included racism and discrimination, mm -hmm. because I think many therapists overlook it. And I wonder about, you know, what you have seen from clients or 
how you recognize it as a trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's necessary to recognize the systemic nature of racism and that there is a sense in which this goes beyond, I mean, it can happen on an individual level, absolutely, microaggressions, and, and sometimes even more that there can be, um, you know, that it can be rooted in PTSD and, and things that are even more uh, catastrophic. But I think, you know, we continue to live um, in a culture and in a time in which it's not recognized the amount of stress, the amount of overwhelm that is created for particularly people of color um, who are experiencing these, you know, moments in which their nervous systems have to to be constantly responding from a place of um, questioning safety. Like, is the situation safe or not? And I think that that level of vigilance is exhausting. And if we look at what trauma is, it's that it's anything that overwhelms our nervous system's ability to cope. Mm -hmm. And so if we're living in systems and situations in which we're constantly um, being bombarded with these little T traumas or even big T traumas, that is going to shape a nervous system mm. towards a way of interacting with the world that is, that is, that is harmful for that person. Um, and so I think that's why it's important to name that. And, and so there's two levels, you know, there's the systemic level. And then I think, I think from an individual level, you know, for me, I'm, I am a white therapist. And so I try to recognize that that comes with privilege and um, being aware of just the power dynamics that even comes um, because of that. And, and just honoring that, you know, someone who's experienced, who is experiencing those things, it's important for them to feel empowered to honor their story, their experience, how that's affecting them. And figuring out what they need to do to create safety, enough safety for themselves to be able to live from their window of tolerance, to live from their full and integrated self. Oh, beautifully said. And it's so important as you name it for us to think about it collectively and individually and to encourage those who are thinking about going to therapy or, or are in therapy to not leave that part out of your story, even if your therapist is not a person of color, to name it because it's a part of what you live with. I always like to uh, leave our listeners with like uh, something they can try to do uh, during the coming week as like a homework. And one of the important pieces that you talk about toward the end of the book is boundaries. So mm -hmm. I wonder if as we uh, start to move toward closing, if you can give us some uh, wisdom on boundaries and how with self-compassion, we can try to operate it with boundaries. Yeah. Oh man. Boundaries are just such a huge part of this, of this work, which I think feels often counterintuitive because people are like compassion, you know, but I think it's a form of fierce self-compassion mm. that like, how can we be, how can we stay home and stay connected to ourselves if we don't feel protected? And so that's where boundaries come into this idea. And 
you know, I think about, um, you know, from a homework perspective, one place that I encourage folks to think about is really like noticing um, oftentimes our automatic responses to situations. A lot of us have been socialized to be yes people. <laughs> like if somebody wants something from you, like you just like, you don't even have a choice. You just do it, right? It doesn't even matter how you feel about it. Like, you just do it. So for those folks who might be resonating with that, or maybe that's even something that they are working on, I would just want to um, encourage you to think about something that feels comfortable for you as an automatic response that you could replace. For example, mm. like, let me think about that. Like, yes. oh, that sounds interesting. Let me think about it. Mm -hmm. And really practicing giving yourself that pause. Because sometimes if we can just give ourselves a little bit of space and then we really check in with ourselves, how does this feel? Am I okay with this? Do I want to invest my time in this experience with this person? Does this person make me feel uncomfortable? And therefore, am I telling them yes, only because I feel uncomfortable? If we can start to get curious about those things, um, we might be able to then give ourselves a better chance at the response that is more true to who we are, which may actually be, no, no, thank you. I'm not able to do that with you right now. And what a great way to show self-compassion. Andy, this has been a blessing. And I know that our listeners will have will get a lot out of it and get even more if they pick up the book. So tell them about how they can be in touch with you and how they can access the book. Yes. Um, well, you can find me at ondicolber.com and I have some resources there, especially when you sign up for my email list. So if that's interesting, feel free to do that. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at ondicolber and Instagram at ondicolber and Facebook at ondicolberwrites. And the book is at basically anywhere books can be sold. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us and for our listeners. As we end with self-compassion, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. Mm -hmm.